0: As world leaders emerge from COVID-19 to meet at the United Nations in New York for the first in-person General Assembly in two years, leaders from business, civil society, and government are meeting in a parallel summit to discuss how humans can coexist with a healthy planet.
1: The huge opportunity for the private sector and the companies to also take the lead. And together with governments, we can make a huge difference.
0: Some 200 CEOs will be among the people taking part in the Sustainable Development Impact Summit between the 20th and 23rd of September, just weeks ahead of the crucial COP26 climate summit.
1: It's a lot about how to make this big global meeting COP26 that's going to take place in Glasgow in November a success, because the planet and the climate needs a success.
0: Bouga Brenda, president of the World Economic Forum, tells us how the Sustainable Development Impact Summit will be a curtain raiser for COP26. And we'll hear from this journalist in Africa on why we mustn't forget development while we strive for sustainability.
2: The U.N. estimates that there'll be around 200 million climate change migrants by 2030. And I think we're already feeling that in the continent.
0: Radio Davos is the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might fix them. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy. Join me and guest co-host Heather Clancy of GreenBiz as we take a look ahead to the Sustainable Development Impact Summit.
3: Yes, investors are in it to make money, but I do know you can make money on these clean ideas. Why shouldn't you invest in that?
0: From the World Economic Forum, this is Radio Davos. If it weren't for the pandemic, the World Economic Forum would be hosting an in-person summit on sustainability in New York this week, on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. But while some heads of government are coming out of lockdown to attend the UN in person, the SDIS is staying virtual. The good news is you can follow most of the action online at wf.ch/sdis21 and across social media using the hashtag. SDIS 21. To preview the Sustainable Development Impact Summit, I called up Heather Clancy, editorial director of Greenbiz and host of the excellent Greenbiz 350 podcast to talk all things sustainability.
3: Greenbiz is a business to business platform. We are part events, well, mostly events, and part website. Uh, greenbiz.com is the site that uh, I run and uh, I curate the editorial content for the community uh, the community is corporate sustainability professionals uh, and the, the ecosystem around them so the NGOs the consulting community the the cities and and uh, other partners that they uh, that they team up with in order to achieve their climate commitments
0: and people can hear lots from you on your podcast green biz 350 tell us about that
3: mm-hmm. Greenbiz350 is our weekly podcast. Uh, we summer, you know, we sort of uh, do a roundup of the week in review, uh, and we always have interviews as well.
0: So let's talk about the SDI Summit. As I said, it's going to be virtual. You'll be moderating a couple of the virtual sessions yourself. Let's hear the World Economic Forum President, Burger Branda, on how he sees this SDI Summit as something of a curtain raiser to COP26.
1: It's a lot about how to make this big global meeting COP26 that's going to take place in Glasgow in November as success because the planet and the climate needs a success. In Paris, we agreed on an overall framework on how to mitigate CO2 and also how we can reduce uh, the overall uh, carbon footprint and how to make sure that we are not seeing uh, a more than one5 degrees Celsius increase in the uh, global temperature. But now we see that uh, we even have to do more. And what is very interesting, and what is also will be a curtain raiser at uh, our Sustainable Impact Summit is that we see companies now also taking the lead. We are seeing nations not moving as, uh, and countries not moving as fast as we would like. But we now see more and more companies, not only saying that they will go carbon neutral by 2050, Even companies coming out and saying, oh, we will be carbon neutral in 2030. So we see our Sustainable Development Impact Summit as a huge opportunity for the private sector and the companies to also take the lead. And together with governments, I think we can make a huge difference.
0: So that's Boga Brenda, president of the World Economic Forum, talking about the upcoming um COP 26 which I believe Heather you're going to right in Glasgow in November. Yeah,
3: I am indeed. Um it's uh, I'm excited to be going. I mean I'm apprehensive to be going but excited to be going. Um I think it's a really important event and I know that the business world is is uh, still actually getting their their agendas together for what what they're going to be focusing on you know they'll be aligning against obviously the negotiations and syncing up the topics with those but uh You know, I believe that we'll be hearing a lot about biodiversity and the role of biodiversity in climate action, as well as uh, the need for a just transition. I think those will be two big themes that I'll be watching for. I'm I'm particularly interested in the role of climate tech in um, solving some of these thorny, thorny issues and how we can accelerate action.
0: Yeah, let's talk about technology then. Perhaps in your work, um, at GreenBiz, have you come? Have you stumbled across any amazing ideas? You thought, you know, this this could really help us.
3: You know, I think I have a bias because I came out of the IT world in IT journalism, and I I covered software for a long time. And so, for me, one of the most exciting things that's happening right now with climate tech is the availability of tools that are actually in so- tools. I say tools and as software applications. That help uh, companies get a better grip on their carbon impact. Scope one, two, and now three.
0: Let, let's let's just, let's just unpack that for for those people. Not <laughs> what's the scope one, two, and three emissions?
3: <laughs> okay, so to to put on the little primer hat. So most companies, uh, in, in most declarations you'll hear a company make, have to do with scope one and two. They're the things that they can control themselves: the emissions from their offices, the emissions from you know people coming to the lights, lights on in the in the in the uh, the the big office headquarters or the factories, uh, the fuel that they buy to 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 run their transportation networks and so forth. So the the scope one and two are the things that really, really have to do with their own operational footprints. The challenge is that, that a lot of those, those emissions, as well as anything in their supply chain, are are what we call scope three. They're, they're within their influence, but not necessarily within their control. Most companies have a pretty good picture, at least a pretty good estimate of what they're Operational impact is they, they they can go they can go and take measurements from their factories and they can figure out what what they're actually um, doing themselves in terms of impact. But it's a lot harder to do scope three. So what I'm excited about though are tools that are coming out. So again, tools I use that word I shouldn't. Software that is that is able to track the, that information much more precisely by. By integrating with the, the enterprise resource planning systems that these companies already lo- rely on for all of the rest of their business. So they have these, uh, you know, I'm not going to name the tools, but they're most companies have extensive databases uh, and software applications that they use to do all of their planning. Now, these this new generation of carbon software tools are coming in to, to, to basically plug into those and draw, use the same data to get much more accurate picture of what a company's impact is in the first place i think cuz i think a lot of companies a lot of it is guesswork right now they're doing annual inventories of this information and they really don't have a real time picture which makes it really hard to actually affect change quickly so that's just one thing i mean i could go on and i know i know you probably don't want me to but but that's one thing i'm super excited about
0: That's a great one to kick us off. Of course, there's lots of technical innovations happening. Let's hear a bit more from Burger Brenda about the technical innovations that could help us fight climate change.
1: I think we are already seeing so many eco entrepreneurs out there and being extremely creative. Not only when it comes to solar and wind, you have also enormous investments now in green hydrogen that possibly have a great uh, future. The whole carbon capture and storage is another one. I think what we will see is that the new technologies that are making such changes in other parts of our lives, for example, artificial uh, intelligence, data, and how we store data, and all these new technologies can play uh, also a constructive role in developing solutions when it comes to new technologies that can support in mitigating And then we also have nature based solutions. Uh, The nature can, in fact, also do a job here. I think there is, we just seen the tip of the iceberg on the possibilities there. And then uh, we also have the lower hanging fruits that are not necessarily technology based yet. And I'm here thinking about the carbon sinks, Mm a sink that our forest is. If we were able to stop the net deforestation of the world, that amounts to 20% of uh, the global carbon emissions. So that could then be absorbed and be a sink for those CO2 emissions for the coming decades. At least until we will find other solutions, we get a reduction of CO2, and we also have new technologies uh, available.
0: Boga Brenda, the president of the World Economic Forum, talking about the nature-based solutions to fight climate change as well as technical innovations. Here's another technical innovation that he mentioned, Heather, and I'd like to hear your comments on this, the idea of sucking carbon dioxide out of the air.
1: Carbon capture and storage. Mm -hmm. If you could take the carbon out of, for example, a gas-fired power plant and do sequestration Mm -hmm. and store it, then that would be a major breakthrough. Today, the technology is there, but uh, it is not cost-effective and it's not uh, competitive with just then uh, a situation where you emit uh, the CO2. But -hmm. it's totally doable. We can replicate on carbon capture and storage what we did on wind and uh, also solar. And see uh, the last weeks, this example also from Iceland, where they were able to capture the CO2 from the air. Mm -hmm. This is a small initiative. It's also based on a special situation in Iceland where they have also the volcanoes. So it's not replicable yet other places, but it shows that the role of technology can play such an amazing and important role
0: that's Boga Brenda talking about carbon sequestration. Uh, Heather, do you have any views on that?
3: Ah, so you just hit the other thing I would wax on about <laughs> if, we had, if we had ours, which is carbon removal technology. So specifically, uh, Climeworks is a company that I'm watching very closely. They're the ones that just switched on what is billed as the largest direct air capture plant in the world. And what makes that company particularly interesting to me is the relationship it has with Swissry, It basically just made a, um, I'll I'll just a quick primer on uh, the renewable energy world. We have power purchase agreements. Many companies have come out and and purchased renewable energy solar plant using these what they're called power purchase agreements by which they agree to pay over time for the output of those plants. What Swiss Re has done with Climeworks is essentially the same thing um, for the carbon removal aspects of that direct air capture plant that Climeworks has just switched on. So They're basically saying, we agree to help pay for that process and over. And they have made a ten year agreement to do that. And that's a really exciting development because the thing that has held direct air capture DAC back is the expense. And it's hard to get and expensive to get these plants up and running. We need more of them. There's other organizations like Carbon Engineering is another company we should watch, watch closely but it takes money. And so companies like Swissry, like Microsoft, um, even Shopify, there's so many uh, tech companies, actually, a lot of them are helping fund sort of this innovation. So that's an ex- another exciting space that we should all be watching closely.
0: It's probably slightly problematic though, isn't it? The idea of paying paying to, well, it's problematic in a number of ways, but one of them is what you're paying money to remove this carbon dioxide, you're not getting a product out of it. Although I know there are technologies that are using that carbon dioxide for, to make building materials, for example. But in, in, in most cases, we're talking about injecting it, getting it out of the way, putting it away safely so it's not in the atmosphere. So they're not getting a tangible, profitable product out of it. I mean, why? what is the incentive for a company to spend a lot of money in, in one of these technologies to remove remove carbon dioxide from the air?
3: Yeah, it is very problematic because some of the purists would say that the the existence of these technologies enables the fossil fuels industry to keep emitting, right? So if you have these technologies in place, what's to stop them from transitioning to a cleaner energy source? But But to your question, many of these companies are sort of betting on the fact that there will be a carbon price in the future, right? Even if or a tax or whatever term you want to use for it. We know that in certain jurisdictions, this will be the case. And if you don't have that, that sort of process in place already, you're going to get caught very flat footed. So some of these, these companies are basically betting on that future. They're saying, we believe that there will be a price on carbon. We need to have this mechanism in place now. Um, And for a a company insurance company like Swissery, that's kind of a, a could become a product for them, right? So they're sort of saying in the future that we could, we wanna be in this business of helping companies do this. So it is a bet against the future. Um, I forget what the actual stat is, but a number of companies have set their own internal price on carbon with the belief that they will be required to pay this in in the
0: future. So much to talk about when it comes to climate change, the SDI summit, COP26. Heather and I will be back on Radio Davos after this short break.
2: Opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor.
3: Lindy Way is the founder of Africa Teen Geeks, an NGO building a pipeline of tech leaders in Africa by teaching a new generation how to code. Lindy Wei built this organization from scratch thanks to bootstrapping, cold calls, and dedication as she worked to change mindsets, curriculums, and bridge equity gaps. Lindy Wei talked to meet the leader about making opportunity happen and how tech and entrepreneurship can reshape Africa. She also shared what she's learned from her own mentor, Google's Marion Croak, about being present and humble and how that helps her be a better mentor to a new generation of leaders. It doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as the work is done. I'm your host, Linda Lucina. Learn about all of this and more on the next Meet the Leader.
0: Welcome back to Radio Davos, where we're looking ahead to the Sustainable Development Impact Summit. I'm joined by Heather Clancy of Greenbiz. Heather, let's listen to a bit more from Burger Brenda. He was speaking with my colleague, Chris Alessi, who asked him just to outline what we can expect from the Sustainable Development Impact Summit.
1: So we are at a very critical point for our planet. We have seen through this UN climate report, the IPCC report, that the planet is burning and we have to change the unsustainable track we are on now. So our summit for sustainable development impact this year will of course concentrate on how we're gonna change that unsustainable path. It's not any longer about why, it is about how. And here we're engaging really the top companies of the world in committing then to going net zero by 2050. We also have a First Movers Coalition. These are the big purchasing companies uh, of the world, like the Amazons, the Walmarts of the world saying, we will be also much tougher when it comes to what we're buying. You have to reduce your uh, carbon footprint as part of that. And then we also have the hard to abate sectors, those sectors that are emitting uh, a lot of CO2, like steel, aluminum, transportation. They're also going to commit during this summit, and they play a major role in making sure that we can make a difference when it comes to going climate neutral by 2050.
0: So, Heather at Greenbiz, I wonder how much attention you have to pay to ESG, this three letter acronym Environment, Social and Governance, the way companies can report or should report on their environmental, social and governance standards. Is this an issue that's a big deal for Green Biz?
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, that is probably one of the most important issues for the the companies that are within the Green Biz community. Everyone has to report this information, so everyone tries to figure out how to report it, right? What do you use? Which which framework should I use? What do I talk about? What do I not talk about? And so forth. And I think that um, this is one of the biggest pain points. They don't, I mean, a lot of companies don't know exactly what to disclose. It seems like every investor wants to know something different, right? So, so a lot of them have taken to reporting on certain frameworks and then having stakeholder discussions with important uh, members of their investment community and, and and to understand like what exactly they, they need to know. Um, I don't, I honestly don't think that you're going to have ever, like there's, I don't think there's going to be a universal standard. I think we will have some framework and then there's, there needs to, I do believe there needs to be industry level uh, frameworks that help you understand how a company operates against its sector. Um, So I think we're going to have layers of, of reporting standards and so forth. But I, it is definitely a um, really important topic for the corporate sustainability community.
0: So I wonder what you'd say to the sceptics out there, and they are many and very vocal at the moment, that say companies aren't ever really going to adopt good behaviours because they're just out to make money primarily. That's what they do. Um, I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say about that, Heather, and the idea that some of this stuff is just greenwashing. I spoke to Mark Carney earlier this year, and he is a proponent of uh, moving finance big finance away from polluting industries into clean and green industries but i put it to him that businesses are motivated by two things greed and fear and this is what mark carney had to say
4: okay well let me take your fear and greed and turn them into risk and opportunity um and uh, and make a basic point which is climate change is the existential risk uh, if we don't address it um uh fundamental uh, challenges to human life and livelihoods, uh, our economy, but also uh, our ecosystem uh, at, at its most fundamental level. If you turn that around, if you're solving an existential risk, if you're part of the solution, not part of the problem, it is a tremendous opportunity. And it, if again, to use your words, turns into the greed or the opportunity uh, part of the equation. So that is, that is the basic point. And what we see to make it more tangible is now is that finance, whether it's investors, uh, whether it's people lending, whether it's uh, investing in it for our pensions, um, are focused on there are activities and assets that formerly were valuable that will not be valuable uh, in a net zero world. In other words, they will become stranded assets uh, because they produce too much carbon because they are part of the problem. Conversely, there are technologies and activities that are part of the solutions and they will be tremendously valuable. And so what's happening right now is a shift away from those risks, that fear, and towards uh, greed, in your words, uh, but those opportunities. uh, And that's a huge, huge uh, shift in capital. It will be measured in trillions of dollars every year for decades in order to address uh, this this challenge.
0: Heather, what's your opinion? What would you say to skeptics who say businesses are out for themselves and if they appear to be doing anything for the environment, it's greenwashing?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... I agree that there is greenwashing going on. I totally agree with that. I feel I feel like um, the claims that companies are making are beyond what they should be making. And part of the reason for that, I believe, is because they don't have the best data. They're saying things that they believe to be true, but they really have no proof of it. And so I feel like number one, just to just to call that out, I do think that is happening. Now, if it's happening maliciously versus just happening out of sheer ignorance or just, you know, they don't know. As to the question about um, greed versus making money, you know, like, are you in this? What? Yes, investors are in it to make money. But I do know you can make money on, on these clean ideas. You know, you can make money on that carbon Removal plant, um, yes, why shouldn't you invest in that? Because it's going to make money. So wouldn't you want that to be part of your portfolio? Would you want solar and wind farms to be part of your portfolio versus, uh, you know, a, a new natural gas plant? Smart investors definitely know that there is money to be made in this and that they're going to go to those funds. Um, should should there, the other question I have to ask is, and I, that which, which I grapple with, I have no answer to this question is, the bigger, the bigger, I think, criticism that has been leveled over the past two months or so about some of these ESG funds or funds that are called climate funds and so forth is who the who the companies are in them. So should you have uh, a major oil company in a climate fund when they really aren't a company that is necessarily focused on clean energy? Part of me says, no, you should have them in there all. But part of me also says that we have these... Companies that have massive wealth right now that are investing—you know, yes, there's a, a lot of their interests are from fossil fuels and uh, interests, but they do have clean clean energy interests. And isn't it in an, in our collective interest to help them get the, those clean energy interests up and running more quickly and accelerate that? And if you pull the money out of those companies, that's not going to happen. I mean, so like it, it is a challenge as an investor. Do you pull your money out of that company or do you? keep your money there and try to influence the change at the board level that needs to happen. Um, And I think that the investment community would argue that you should stay, that you should stay in that company and try to influence the change and try to get them moving in the right direction. It it took us decades to get into the bad place that we are. It's going to take, I know we need to move quickly, but it's not going to happen like overnight. You can't just flip a switch and make it happen. So I, I, you know, I respect the concern over the greenwashing debate. We need to call it out. We need to call out companies and we need to be specific about who's a bad actor. But we also need to um, look at the good things that are happening and try to balance it out and try to support them in doing those good things.
0: Heather Clancy of GreenBiz, thanks for joining me on Radio Davos.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: You can hear more from Heather on her podcast, GreenBiz 350. Before we go, I wanted to look at the development aspect of sustainable development. I wanted to hear from Africa. So I got in touch with Shiko Kimeria, who in June became the first woman editor of the business news website Quartz Africa. Before getting onto the theme of sustainability, I asked Shiko what she was working on in her new job.
2: We're just about to launch the Quartz Innovators lists for this year um, coming up next week. And this year is quite exciting because it's a female only uh, list. The themes and what they're addressing are quite varied. So we have people who are addressing issues such as low insurance and microinsurance penetration in Kenya. We have an innovator who's looking at the challenges of freight logistics in Ghana. We have uh, women working on digital activism in Nigeria. Well, we have uh, people in uh, an innovator in Senegal who's at the intersection of creativity of creative math design with fashion, and then I know we also you're also interested in talking about climate change and clean energy, and we do have innovators in that too. So we have uh, an innovator working on clean energy financing in 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 Tunisia. We have another one also in Tunisia looking at precision agriculture. So they're using irrigation, they're they're using irrigation systems that take into account real-time data on the crops and the weather uh, conditions. In agriculture, we have uh, an innovator who's looking at the the issue of produce rotting in Egypt in the agricultural value chain. Across tech, we have uh, ag finance, we have uh, education financing, we have skills development for women in tech.
0: It, it sounds great. Okay, we'll encourage all our listeners to to check out Quartz Africa and find that list. Sustainable development has a lot of elements, but in this episode, we're focusing a lot on climate change because of the pending uh, COP26 climate summit in November in the UK. So I'm just wondering, you know, seen from Africa, is is climate change generally considered a a big deal or is it something we we worry about in in the West or the global North?
2: No, I would say it's a very big deal because the effects of climate change are worst felt in the countries and in the continents that have the least contribution. So Africa contributes less than 1% to carbon emissions globally, but is hardest hit by the the changes of climate change. As a recent example, you know, Madagascar is the first country to get climate uh, climate change-driven farming, and that was just quite recently. And Madagascar's contribution to climate change is so minuscule, but the effects for them are huge climate change on the continent has been linked to everything, including the rise in terror, the rise in terrorism in the Sahel, um, the rise in conflict by between pastoralists and farmers also in the Sahel and various parts of the continent. Because as the climate changes, water, water and land becomes a very, very limited resource for, I mean, water and arable land becomes a very limited resource for people. So it's driving a lot of challenges. It's driving also the issue of climate change migrants. So I think the UN uh, estimates that there'll be around, there'll be more than two million, it was 200 million uh, climate change energy migrants by 2030. And I think we're already feeling that in the continent where people who used to farm and live on the land now have to move into urban centers and that will have its own ripple effects. There's been, on the continent, there's been issues of cyclones such as the one that happened recently in Southern Africa, which affected and displaced, uh, affected more than 3 million people and so I would say, even though we contribute very little to uh, to uh, to carbon emissions, we really do. The continent does really suffer a lot from climate change.
0: And how does Africa see COP twenty six? Is that an important event for Africans?
2: Yeah, no. I think that there are a few priorities for the continent when it comes to COP twenty six. One will be setting new global rules for carbon trading markets. So right now, there's I mean, right now there's been a flurry of activity that's coming out on. You know, um, companies in wealthier countries can be able to invest in a forest in a different African country, or invest in clean energy projects in other parts of the continent and offset their and offset their emissions. So I think the the aspect of setting the global rules for that and how how it actually works will be an important priority. So recently, Gabon was able got a payoff from Norway to protect the rainforest that's there. So I think that's an example of an innovation that the continent will want to see how how can we benefit or how can we offset such projects and, and what does this actually look like and how can such deals be equitable. So that's one priority. The second priority will be ensuring that the US and other wealthier countries in the north make good on commitments that they have in terms of climate adaptation on the continent. And I would say the la- the last priority is also for us for the continent to see that there's a balanced view for Africa when it comes to energy financing and energy flexibility. Um, so I'll expound on this. Recently, the Nigerian vice president wrote an op-ed where he was saying that right now in the West, they're saying, we're going to pull out of fossil fossil fuel financing projects on the continent. But he said that this will hit the continent so hard because fossil fuels helped, the Western, helped Western countries develop. And right now, if they pull out on the continent as we're in this stage, there'll be huge development impact we have uh, some examples, we have low electrification rates on the continent. So right now we are at the stage where fossil fuels are helping the continent at least increase electrification. And if the West all pull out of such projects, it's going
0: to devastate our economies. Shiko Kimeria, editor of Quartz Africa. You also heard on this episode Heather Clancy of GreenBiz, and World Economic Forum President Boga Brenda, who was interviewed by Chris Alessi. Thanks to all of those for taking part. In the next episode of Radio Davos, we'll bring you highlights of the Sustainable Development Impact Summit. But before then, you can follow it online at wef.ch sdis21 and across social media using the hashtag SDIS21. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating, a review and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented and edited by me, Robin Pomeroy. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye.